0: About six minutes after the hour, you're listening to KTTR 99.7 FM, time for our Phelps Health Show, and Paige Heitman is with you today, good morning Paige. Good morning, we don't have a Kayla here today, I'm riding solo, but I do have a really great guest on today, Dr. Chris Spencer, who is a radiation oncologist at the Phelps Health Delbert Day Cancer Institute. Welcome back to our show, Dr. Spencer. Thanks. Yeah, it's been a little while since we've had you on, uh, perfect timing, we've got some new programs starting at the Delbert I'm Day Cancer Dr. Institute. Stanley. I don't know who that is. Does that age me? Well, he's, a, he's an actor. Want to know who he is? You'll have to show me. <laughs> okay, so today we have Stanley Tucci on. He's a good-looking man. A good looking man right? <laughs> okay. All right, so now that we've established that, um, today we are, again, like I said, talking with Dr. Chris Spencer. It's been a while since we've had you on, Dr. Spencer. Give us a little uh, lowdown of what brought you here, what do you do at the hospital, and why do you love working here so much?
1: Sure. So I, clinically, I'm a radiation oncologist, so... I use radiation to treat cancers mm-hmm. um, and a few other non-cancerous uh, things, but mostly cancers. I'm also the director of the uh, cancer center, the DDCI, and I'm, I also serve as a role as the division chief of the medical specialties. So uh, there's a whole group of, of providers that report through us through our division. Um, Radiation oncology is an interesting field because it combines uh, a whole lot of different ideas, both um, the biology of cancers, or the physics of the radiation to treat the cancers. Uh, but most specifically, uh, the radiation, and modern radiation in particular, is really exciting because we can treat different cancers non-invasively and, and a lot of the time without a whole lot of side effects.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you've talked a little bit professionally. Tell us a little bit about what you what brought you to this area.
1: Sure, so uh, my wife and I moved down here Mm -hmm. in 2015, so we've been here for seven years now, Mm -hmm. and we just love the area. We live in St. James, um, and we're building a business in St. James, which we're really excited Mm -hmm. about, to continue to contribute to the community. Uh, But we originally came down here after I was at Washington University, and I was really looking to be more involved in community care and less involved in academic medicine Mm -hmm. and um, Dr. James was the chief medical officer at the time and uh, the organization had a vision for a cancer center that really aligned for Uh, with my vision for what cancer care uh, should look like going into the future and that's really what brought me to this community is the the ability to really Mm -hmm. bring a very high level and quality care directly to the community so people wouldn't have to leave the community they could get the care um, close to their home um, and and not just get um, adequate care but Mm -hmm. get what i consider to be excellent care you know to get the best care you can get um, um, at a local institution, so that's really what brought
0: me here. Absolutely, that's kind of a great synopsis of the DDCI, I think. So today we're talking specifically about colorectal cancer. So let's just dive right in. What do we mean whenever we say colorectal cancer?
1: Yeah, okay. yeah. So colon cancer and colorectal cancer um, is a type of cancer that starts either in your colon and or your rectum. And so cancer is. Um, your body's cells that learn how to grow grow uncontrollably. So they just keep growing and growing and they don't have anything that can check that growth. And that becomes a problem because it can cause problems locally, for in this instance in the colon or the rectum, and eventually those cells as they grow can learn how to spread to other parts of the body and cause problems in other organs in the body. So that's what cancer is.
0: So whenever we talk about colorectal cancer, how does colorectal cancer start? What are some of those warning signs, symptoms?
1: Yeah, sure. So those those cells, there are other things that can cause kind of like uncontrolled or semi controlled growth. So in In colorectal cancer, um, cells that start growing um, with either less control or uncontrollably are called polyps, and those start in the lining of the colon um, or the rectum. And those polyps, some of them can be benign and grow and then just stop (coughs) growing and never cause any problems, but some of those polyps can eventually change into or kind of convert into cancers and continue to grow and cause, cause issues.
0: So there are different types of cancer that are in both the colon and the rectum. Let's talk about kind of what those different types of cancers are and what people should be on the lookout for.
1: Sure. So, so overall, um, you know, kind of like b- before we talk about the different types of cancers, you know, the symptoms of colorectal cancer. So if you have colorectal cancer, some of the symptoms you can have are, are, are blood in your stool. That's the most common presenting um, sign or symptom of colorectal cancer. Uh, you could also have abdominal pain or cramping, um, changes in your bowel habits, things like that. Those are all things that that are signs and symptoms of, of colon cancers. So there, there are many types of cancers that can start in the colon or the rectum. The most common is a cancer called adenocarcinoma. Um, and that mix, makes up the, ma- the, the great majority, mm-hmm. you know, over well, well over 90% of the colorectal cancers are, the, are these adenocarcinomas. Um, there are less common cancers that can start there. Carcinoid tumors are a low-grade um, cancer that can start there. There are high-grade um, tumors called small cell cancers that can start there. Um, lymphomas can, can present in the colon or the rectum. Uh, sarcomas can be there and and kind of the rarest is these gastrointestinal stromal tumors um, are typically benign um, Mm -hmm. but they can they can also present in the
0: colon and the rectum. So with the DDCI you see patients with lots of different types of cancer varying stages as well (laughs) how common specifically is colorectal cancer to this area?
1: Sure so so we have um, a slightly higher incidence Mm -hmm. than average of colorectal cancer here compared to Missouri or Mm -hmm. Um, compared to the United States. Overall, in the United States, there's about 150,000 new cases of colorectal cancer a year. So uh, there's about 100,000 cases of colon cancer and about 50,000 cases Mm -hmm. of rectal cancer every year. If you break that out into a population sense, there's about one colon cancer for every 24 individuals, 24-25 or 25 individuals over the course of somebody's life, mm-hmm. and and you know in our area, in the mid-Missouri area, that incidence is maybe just a, like slightly higher, maybe one in every 20 or 22 mm-hmm. people, um, it happens. Not not too much higher than the average in in um, in Missouri or the United States, but slightly higher. And colon cancer is the third leading cause of death from all cancers um in the United States and in our area. Mm-hmm.
0: So what's the reason for that? Is it just people catch it too late um in, in process or
1: no typically um the, the 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 reason we have maybe slightly higher mm-hmm. incidence than other areas is because of the risk factors that come along mm-hmm. with colon and rectal cancer and and specifically the two risk factors that we have a little bit um a little we have a little bit higher rates of Mm -hmm. um, physical inactivity and people being overweight as well as people smoking Mm -hmm. in this area compared with the average in the rest of the united states and so that leads us to you know have just a slightly higher incidence of the colorectal cancer.
0: What are some of those risk factors that we can change? I know you had mentioned um, like obesity. That's something that we, we probably can change with diet yep. and exercise. What are some of those other things?
1: Sure. So so we kind of break down risk factors into two categories, risk factors that you can change and then, and then risk factors that you obviously can't change. And so for the ones that you can change, for everybody that's out there listening, you know, I'd, I'd really... If there's any take-home messages mm-hmm. from, from this talk today, I think it's it's this next couple of minutes when we talk about these risk factors. These are things that you can do in your life that can decrease the risk that of you mm-hmm. getting a colon or a rectal cancer. And many of these things won't just decrease your risk of colorectal cancer, but will also decrease your risk of many other cancers, breast cancer, prostate cancer, lung cancer, and, and many other things kind of correlate with these things. So the the biggest um, the biggest um, risk factors that you can change that are related to colorectal cancer um, are physical act- inactivity and being overweight so so that is one big thing um, so the more exercise you can get and the better your diet can be the better diet is another um, uh, another risk factor so diets that are really high in fiber fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. and fiber have have Are less related to colorectal cancer Mm -hmm. than diets that are um, really high in processed foods and fats.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that for a second because um, there are lots of different fad diets going around. There's the carnivore diet, there's the keto diet. From a cancer perspective, what's kind of your take on that?
1: So it's really hard to say that the research Mm -hmm. on all of these different diets and things like that are are definitely not conclusive and Mm -hmm. it's very controversial, you know. But overall, um, the way that I like to think about it, and, and the way that I discuss it with my patients, is the less processed food you eat, mm-hmm. the better, regardless of where mm-hmm. that diet comes from. You know, if you're keto or carnivore or you know meats or this or that, I don't know that that there's any really specific data that says one thing that's mm-hmm. better than the other. But the clear picture is that. You know, when we do these studies from around the world, like on the Mediterranean diet and different mm-hmm. things like that, what what clearly stands out every time is is the more whole foods that you eat and the less processed mm-hmm. foods you eat, the better it's going to be.
0: Yeah, stay out of the middle of the aisles right. at the store. Right. <laughs> Only right. shop on the outside. Right. Stick
1: with the meats and the fruits mm-hmm. and vegetables and, and try to, you know, do the home cooking. Or when you, mm-hmm. when you eat out, try to steer towards places that you know, that do kind of cook, Mm -hmm. you know, from scratch, basically. Yeah,
0: maybe not McDonald's every night.
1: Right.
0: Right. (laughs) So there, we've got... It's
1: it's okay to splurge every once in a while. Yeah, I love chicken nuggets.
0: (laughs) So we've got a couple of other risk factors, smoking and heavy alcohol use. How do those play a role in cancer?
1: Sure, so smoking um, over time Mm -hmm. induces, mostly in your lungs, but also in other areas of, of your body, Um, induces genetic mutations in cells that increase the risk of cancer. And not only does it increase the risk of getting cancer, when you do get cancers um, after being a smoker, uh, many times those Mm -hmm. cancers can be more severe and more aggressive. Um, and alcohol does, does the same thing, but to Mm -hmm. lesser, to a lesser of degree. So heavy alcohol intake, um, also can lead to damage to the cells that line the GI tract. So the esophagus, the Mm -hmm. stomach, the intestines, the colon, um, and can, can lead to, um, increased rates of, of cancer.
0: So I think you've given us some really good information about the types of things that we can change and kind of the ownership and the role that we play whenever it comes to cancer. What are some of those colorectal cancer risk factors that maybe we can't change, that we're just born with or we just have to adapt to?
1: Sure. So so one more thing before we go in that, I think, and, and this is the biggest thing. So um, we talk about like eating a fresh and healthy diet, but also the other big thing that you can do to really you know, decrease your Mm -hmm. risk of, especially colorectal cancer, is just exercise. Mm -hmm. Doing, you know, three to five days a week of 30 minutes of just walking. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be anything. You
0: don't um, have to go out and do hit. Right, it doesn't Mm -hmm.
1: have to be anything strenuous or extensive. Really just, you know, 30 to 45 minutes of walking three to five times a week can significantly decrease your risk for for colorectal cancer, but also heart disease and diabetes and many of the other issues that come Um, with not getting physical activity and and being overweight. So I just want to really encourage everybody Mm -hmm. to try to you know, start that, that routine, yeah. especially as the weather gets nice, you know, get out mm-hmm. there and walk. Maybe not
0: this week cause we know the pollen's bad. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah.
1: get out there and walk, you know, for 30 to 45 minutes a day. And that can really help.
0: Absolutely. Or mow your yard. So, um, we have a push mower because m- my husband just feels like that's what we should have. So, uh, I get out there once a week and I mow the backyard and it's really great exercise. So yeah, that one's really easy. Definitely. So let's talk about definitely. those things that you can't change.
1: Sure. So, other risk factors, so the, so the next area that we think of is, is risk factors for cancer. Um, so these are things not necessarily that cause cancer, but that are related to, you know, cancers mm-hmm. when, when we see them. And so your risk for cancer increases as you get older. Um, so um, So basically, young adults can get colon cancer, But it's rare, and most of those cases are related to um, hereditary or familial syndromes that increase your risk for colorectal cancer. And so, basically, once you're 45 or 50 is where Mm -hmm. the risk of colorectal cancer really starts um, increasing. history of polyps um, or a history of colorectal cancer increases your risk of getting another, you know, getting a colorectal cancer or getting another uh, colorectal cancer the inflammatory bowel diseases like crohns or ulcerative colitis mm-hmm. also increase your risk for um, colorectal cancer so people that get those diagnoses many times those diagnoses come in the 20s or 30s mm-hmm. and your risk of colon cancer is increased especially even at a younger age with those with those diagnoses so those are those are diagnoses that you know people really need to to get screened early. I've got
0: another question on that really quick mm-hmm. too. So if somebody gets diagnosed with one of those in their twenties or thirties, should they then ask their primary care if they can start getting screenings for colorectal cancer?
1: Yeah, typically they mm-hmm. do they do recommend starting to screen mm-hmm. early with those diagnoses, but but also typically when you get that when you receive a diagnosis of an inflammatory bowel disorder, mm-hmm. you're typically getting colonoscopies to evaluate mm-hmm. that on a regular basis, you know, regardless. Yeah. So you typically are already on a regimen where mm-hmm. you're being screened. Um, or not really being screened, but you're, you're getting diagnostic Mm -hmm. colonoscopies because of the inflammatory. Yeah. So, you know,
0: always know what's going on. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we've got a couple of other things that we can't change as well.
1: Yeah. So, um, familial histories of colorectal cancer. So if your parents or grandparents had a colorectal cancer, that increases your risk of it, even if Mm -hmm. you don't specifically have the different genes um, that can specifically cause colorectal cancer. Just mm-hmm. having that history does increase your your risk. And also, we think about screening those people earlier. Um, definitely having you know an inherited um, cancer syndrome like um, like FAP or familial adenomatous mm-hmm. pal- palposis, you know increases your risk of of colorectal cancer. Um, different races and ethnic backgrounds have different. Um, incidences of colorectal cancer so some some of the of those you know backgrounds Mm -hmm. just have a higher incidence than the population at average um and then you know the the risk then you know having type 2 diabetes definitely has an increased risk but that that likely has to do with more you know most of the people with with, Mm -hmm. with diabetes also you know have either you know can have weight problems or other issues that also you know contribute there as well
0: so now that we've kind of talked about the risk factors that we can control, the things that we can't control, let's say it's time for somebody to get screened. What does screening for colorectal cancer look like? What can somebody expect?
1: Sure. So there are multiple ways to screen for colorectal cancer. The gold standard is colonoscopy. And so mm-hmm. the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force and the NCCN guidelines um, recommends colonoscopy for every, mm-hmm. everybody from the age of 50 to 75 what we're starting to learn is that there likely is some benefit to start screening at age 45 and not 50. That's still kind of controversial, mm-hmm. but basically at age 45, so if you're, you know, 44 mm-hmm. or or older right mm-hmm. now, you should be talking to your primary care doctor about the benefits and risks of screening. And so from 45 to 50 we recommend, you know, having that discussion with your primary care doctor about your history, your your, you know, different exposures to these risk factors that we've talked about to talk about the risks and benefits of screening. Everybody from 50 to 75 we know definitely mm-hmm. benefits from screening. And then from 75 on, the recommendations for screening is basically if you have a 10-year life expectancy or more, mm-hmm. we recommend for screening. So, and that's a conversation to have mm-hmm. at the, from the age of 75 up. With your primary care doctor. And probably the people that benefit most from the screening from the age of 75 to 90 Mm -hmm. are the people who have either never had screenings before Mm -hmm. or who have had polyps on previous screenings. Probably if you've been screened Every 10 years from the age of 50 to 75, Mm -hmm. you likely don't need any more screenings if you've never had any polyps or never had any issues. But if you've never had screening or you've had polyps, you likely would benefit from continued screening after the age of 75.
0: So whenever we talk about a colonoscopy, I want to dive into that for a second because I think... it's kind of taboo in some ways people think about a colonoscopy they think I don't want to scope going up places that I'm not comfortable with is the first step always a colonoscopy or is there maybe something else that somebody can do before they decide okay you do need to do a colonoscopy
1: yeah. so so colonoscopy I just really want to emphasize this that mm-hmm. you know colonoscopy is the gold standard mm-hmm. for screening for colon colorectal cancer that is what we recommend mm-hmm. everybody doing um, but but I realize that there are people that don't like to do that and, and modern colonoscopies you know, the, there is, like, the prep you have to drink to prepare mm-hmm. your colon um, to clean everything out so everything can be visualized. But they're done under anesthesia, mm-hmm. so you don't, you know, see, hear, or feel the the exam. And it's a pretty short exam and pretty mm-hmm. light anesthesia overall. So overall, we've gotten much better in the medical world at mm-hmm. doing these to make them as, you know, minimally invasive. Yep. And,
0: You're in and out. <laughs> right. As
1: minimally invasive and as easy as possible for the patient. But there are two other tests that can be done Mm -hmm. um one is called the a fit test so that's a fecal immunoassay test where they Mm -hmm. test the stool for markers for cancer and that is kind of what i would say is the second best so the so the colonoscopy if you do a colonoscopy um for screening Mm -hmm. and it's it's negative meaning there's no polyps there's no abnormalities they typically recommend re-screening in 10 years if they see polyps or they see other issues, then they decrease the length between colonoscopies. Mm -hmm. If you decide you do not want to get screened with a colonoscopy and you want to use one of the other methods, um, like a fecal immunoassay test, Mm -hmm. you would do that, or the FIT test, you would do that once a year. So Mm -hmm. you would collect your stool sample and do that, uh, that FIT test once a year. The other option that's not as good as the FIT test, but is better than nothing, is um, fecal guaiac testing and so that's a test that tests the stool for blood for microscopic amounts of blood in the stool and that test is the same as the fit test that would be done once a year and if the fit test if the immunoassay test or the blood test in the stool were positive the recommendations would be for a colonoscopy to follow that up to make sure that there was no cancers mm-hmm. that
0: were seen. Absolutely, great information. So we've got a couple of minutes left, and I, I want to talk about something else a little bit off topic from colorectal cancer, but right in line with screenings that we're talking about. You had mentioned um, smoking earlier and how that's really prevalent in our area. We've got this new program starting at the DDCI next week. So let's talk about what that is.
1: Sure, so so we're really excited about this. We've been working on this for multiple years mm-hmm. now and we're finally able to launch it. And like I said, we're very, very excited. This is the lung cancer screening program. And so um, what we know in our area is we diagnose 75% of the lung cancers we diagnose are stage three and stage mm-hmm. four, and only 25% of the lung cancers that we diagnose are stage one or stage two. And so if you compare that to breast cancer in our region, 85% mm-hmm. of the breast cancers we diagnose in our region are stage one and stage two, and only 15% are stage three and stage four. And so what that tells us is we do a really good job of screening mm-hmm. for breast cancer, and we're not doing such a great job of yeah. screening for lung cancer. So we have this new test called a low dose CT scan where we can screen for lung cancers um, in patients that have uh, a pretty extensive history of, mm-hmm. of smoking. And so we can use this test to, to catch lung cancers early. And if you look at um, some of the data that's coming out from the rest of the United States and the Europe, this test works really well to, die, to, to flip that number that I just told you on the head. So we're hoping after we get this program launched and we're able to start screening, we'll be able to diagnose you know, 75 to 80% mm-hmm. of lung cancers in our area as stage one, and not as stage three and stage four, which makes treatment a lot easier and we cure a lot more of these lung cancers.
0: Absolutely.
1: So for all of you you know, patients out there and potential smokers out mm-hmm. there, if you have family or friends that are smokers, tell them about lung cancer screening. Mm-hmm. This is something that's super easy for patients to do. They just ask their primary care doctor. It's covered by insurance and or Medicare mm-hmm. or Medicaid, and they just come in, And it is a CT scan that takes 30 minutes. Um, It's non-invasive. You just lie on the table. It's a low-dose CT scan, meaning the Mm -hmm. radiation you get is very, very minimal. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's very effective at at, um, finding these lung cancers early.
0: Awesome. Dr. Spencer, I think that's a great place to wrap up. Thanks for being here today.
1: Thank you guys so much for having me.
0: As a reminder, we've been speaking today with Dr. Chris Spencer, a radiation oncologist at the Phelps Health Delbert Day Cancer Institute. If you missed part of this show and would like to listen to it again, visit phelpshealth.org.